Welcome to the New England Baseball Journal podcast. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan. It's easy to make the case that no one in the Boston area has made a bigger impact on black and Latino youth baseball players than today's guest, Robert Lewis Jr. In 2013, Robert founded The Base, an organization that leverages the power and passion of baseball to help student-athletes find pathways to success both on and off the field. The Base serves over 1,500 youth annually. Since 2013, the organization has helped student-athletes earn $45 million in scholarships and financial aid. I can't wait to hear about Robert's vision and how it came to fruition. Robert will share how he and his athletes have faced instances of racism and continued to strive toward their goals. First, I'll quickly share the ways in which you can engage with the New England Baseball Journal platform. To check out all the latest content from our staff at New England Baseball Journal, visit BaseballJournal.com. This month, we're previewing the top prep school players in New England by position. We're also writing spotlights on travel programs and every D1 college program in New England. Later this month, the winter edition of New England Baseball Journal is off to the presses. We just had our cover shoot with some of the top D1 pitchers in the region. Get that edition mailed to your home or office by clicking the subscribe tab at the top of BaseballJournal.com. Thanks again for listening to the New England Baseball Journal podcast. Here's Robert Lewis Jr., who is joining us on Zoom. Robert, thanks so much for coming on the pod. Thanks, Dan, for having me. Yeah, it's it's a pleasure. I recently read an op-ed that you wrote, and uh, you talked about the power that youth sports can have in providing opportunities uh, for growth. And I didn't realize when I was reading that op-ed uh, that you've been running an urban baseball team since 1978. Uh, how did that come about? Did you have a background in baseball? You know, a, a few interesting things. I, I, you know, baseball was one of my favorite sports when I grew up as a kid in East Boston. And, you know, and I was fortunate enough in high school to play baseball, basketball, and football. Um, but I, I moved into a neighborhood in Boston and I was – you know, it was the summer of 1978 before I was going to enter UMass Amherst to play football. Um, four young people who were 12 years old reached out to me and said, hey, you know, they said, you know, you're new to the neighborhood. We heard you play baseball. We're starting a team and we'd like you to coach. Right. So in 1978, I started a baseball team right there in the Villa Victoria community in the South End and have never left it since. So it was four young folks who stopped me that got me engaged in this process from a team to where we currently are with the base. And what did you find uh, from that experience? What was it like co coaching uh, an urban uh, baseball program? Who were you competing against and what type of experiences did you find for the team? You know, when we when we first started off, it was, you know, it was, I'll be honest, it was hard to get into any of the established leagues. So there were four Latino organizations, um, Inquilinos, Bariquas, and Acción, IBA. Um, it was Sociedad Latina, Alianza Hispana, and El Centro de Cardenal. And these were four Latino organizations in Boston that all paused and started their own youth baseball teams. And what we did is we played against each other for a few summers. And then there was a big deal. We would, we would schedule games against teams in Cambridge and others. So it took us years before we were able to enter into leagues that existed in Boston and greater Boston. And one, you know, the, the issue wasn't the talent. We always had the talent. The, the biggest issue was always access. 
And that was in 78. And a lot of that is carried on even till today around being able to compete um, in local leagues and in regions and in national tournaments around the country. It's about access and opportunities. And um, there's urban kids playing baseball everywhere. It's just, you know, sports has become right now about if you can afford it and it's an affordability issue. Right. And even without the access to playing in these bigger tournaments or, you know, getting outside of that four team round robin league, uh, what did you find that the players gained from the experience of being able to play baseball? You know, the love of the game, you know, they experienced what others experienced a love of the game. You know, you know, you have to put the hard work in the practice. Um, I love that they represented their communities and that was, that was powerful for me is that these four teams all represented their communities, represented the organizations. Um, so there was that whole sense of community pride that went with it. And if you think of it in a weird way, that team in 78 just started this whole, you know, um, revolution in, in a big way of young kids interested in baseball coming from a community um, that had a sense of pride. Um, and that's, you know, listen, we've carried that culture you know, to everything we're doing now. So a lot of it was the the love of the game, you know, you know, being some of the first that got, you know, these teams off the ground. And it's even to today, like I love connecting with those guys who were part of my first team. So they started a movement and I really believe a movement in urban baseball in Boston. Yeah. And over the years, you know, I keep hearing more and more about the base and players who have come through and benefited from the experience. Uh, what was your inspiration behind starting the base and how has it evolved? Um, you know, I, I think you started it in 2013 or 2014? 2013. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what was really interesting with this, Dan, was, you know, we, we had some great success. You know, and this is while I was running the Astros from 1978 to 2012. We had some great success. Our teams won a few national tournaments. We, we were winning throughout New England, winning, you know, statewide. We were competing and we were beating some of the best in, you know, suburban cities and towns throughout um, our Commonwealth. But in 2012, when I was at the Boston Foundation, a report was, um, you know, done on the state of poverty. And, and if you were a young African-American or young Latino, you were, you were negative on all the social determinants that got measured, finishing high school, entering college, graduating college, um, jobs, um, healthcare disparities, incarceration. If you were just you know black and Latino, you were negative at all. But when I'm reading this report and I was at the Boston Foundation at this time, I'm looking at, I had 80 kids that were part of my baseball program. And when I was looking at this report saying, this report's talking about my young folks. So I knew I needed to leave the Boston Foundation. And now my next competition was not gonna be how good we could be on the field, but was gonna be how great we could be off the field. And that was gonna be about educational attainment, finishing high school, getting to college, getting through college. Then it was gonna be access to jobs and careers in the workforce. And the competition was not that our young folks were negative, on all these social determinants, but the investment in them were gonna be positive on these social you know, determinants. And then our whole goal is how are we winning on and off the field? So a lot of it came from that report in realizing that unfortunately inner cities and urban America has always been seen as a deficit 
I wanted to build an entity that was going to show that urban talent was such an asset. Yeah, but it's one thing to have the idea. You know, I think a lot of people probably look at those stats and say, hey, we mean, we need to be more invested at an early age. We need to kind of break this cycle. But then to actually do it, you know, that's a whole other thing. What what resources uh, did you want the program to provide to inner city youth uh, from an educational perspective, from a, a athletic perspective um, to, to improve that performance? You, you know, to, to me, a lot of it was how do you invest in young people, right? You know, some of it was, we knew at the beginning when we started, listen, we were we were about a $200,000 organization, didn't have a headquarters or anything, but we we knew that one of the first things I, as I was gonna raise money, we knew we needed somebody that had programmed um, experience and somebody that was gonna partner with us to make sure we we're gonna provide the tutoring, tutoring support. Little things we started doing. We started visiting colleges and making sure that our kids knew that they should be on a college campus. Um, we reached out to colleges and we reached out to other organizations to provide educational support and resources for us. So, you know, we were with Ben Franklin Institute of Technology. They were actually running um, a dual enrollment class. So our kids were able to take some college classes while they're in high school to get college credits. Um, and like I said, and on top of visiting colleges, we were meeting with admissions officers around the whole admissions process. We wanted to make sure that we were going to simplify the process for our young folks to know they belonged on a college campus. And then on top of that, we knew we needed to make sure we were providing internships and, and job opportunities in the summer. And what did we do? We partnered with folks that were providing, you know, resume writing, interview skills, all of these things that our young folks just needed to have that anybody, you know, entering college or finishing college would have if they're going for job interviews. And we built this as part of the foundation. And then over time, we built our pillars of that the foundation of what the organization would focus is about excellence in sports, you know, quality education, academic outcomes, about health and wellness, and ensuring that our young folks are going to get the tools they need to participate in this economy. And we have built this infrastructure to allow our young folks to go through this process, where over our period of time, we've been, you know, getting kids into college, getting them jobs, getting them internships, but it has to be foundation to your culture. And that's one of the things at the base, we value ourselves on what we call the base way, which is just a set of value points that we live by. And the, the thing I should also say, every young person that registers and signs up to be a member, they have to complete what we call a winning game plan for life. So we wanna make sure that they're getting the same logistics that you would get if you were going out to practice, those same things you were gonna get um, in life if you're gonna be successful. That makes sense. I, I've heard from a couple of guys um, who are now, you know, major league prospects, they're pro prospects. And one of them just got drafted, Josh Baez, who started in uh, the base when he came over as an immigrant from the yes. Dominican Republic. Uh, Ivan Arias is another player. Uh, he's a Dexter now who benefited yes. so much from the base as well. How do you make uh, immigrants or inner city youth aware of the opportunities that you have to offer at the base? And what's the process for them to get involved with the program? You know, we, we've been fortunate. I mean, you know, Josh and Ivan are just two of many young folks. Ben Bowden, who was at Vanderbilt, who's now with the Colorado Rockies. Um, Pat Rotolo, who was at PBD High. It's so interesting how we've been able not just to get a lot of inner city urban kids, 
But it's been funny that kids from the suburbs will come here for the quality of instruction. We don't advertise. We don't promote. It's so much around the, today, this generation of social media, right? Um, I think at the beginning when we opened up, most folks said, oh, great, they got batting cages. We're going to come in to hit. And didn't realize that you couldn't be a member unless you were going to do the academic work and the academic support in, in those things. So, you know, it's like anything. Young folks in word of mouth, um, we pride ourselves on excellence and quality. We're not a drop-in facility, so you can't just come and drop in. You know, we're a facility, you come in and there's going to be instruction, there's going to be tutoring, there's going to be learning. Um, and we've been fortunate. Listen, our kids have played at some of the top colleges in the country. We've had a few kids that have in minor league, two of our young folks last year signed with the Boston Red Sox. And what's interesting is that if you walk in our headquarters, you will not see any um, posters or anything of any of our players in baseball uniforms in the pros or in college. But you'll see the photos of our young folks up on the walls that are in college, right? Because if we're gonna make generational change, we're using baseball as the vehicle. And on top of that, we've added girls softball and we now have basketball that we added two years ago. We're using sports as this paradigm shift for urban talent and urban success. So not that Josh and Ivan are extraordinary baseball players, but that they could be extraordinary student athletes at Dexter. Yeah. Right. That our young folks are now all of a sudden independent schools are banging on our doors in record numbers. Right. You know, that Grisella and Gwen are extraordinary students at Windsor, besides being great baseball players. You know, that we have Penelope, who's great at Fontpon. Right. You know, our whole idea is that if we're going to be part of generational change and a shift, sports is that tool to ensure our folks are going to have success um, moving forward. Um, and these are the things that we've learned talking to colleges and even some of our great connections within pro baseball. What they're looking for, they're looking for great folks that would be great teammates. And that's what we're hoping to produce. Listen, we're not perfect games. We're, we're not showcases and nor will we ever try to be. But what we do know is our kids are talented and, and as talented as anyone, not just locally in the country. The only difference is like I said, it's access and that our young folks just aren't paying the thousands of dollars to participate in these showcases. But I will tell you, they are talented enough too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those two guys that uh, we just mentioned that are at Dexter are among the top players in the, in the nation for their class. Um, I wanted to ask you about an incident in your op-ed that you wrote about, you wrote about, uh, you took a team down to Virginia, uh, in a Virginia baseball tournament. Uh, you had a lot of Spanish speaking players on the team and the opposing dugout and the stands, everybody started to chant, where's your green card? Um, how common has it been over the years for you? You know, you said it, this goes back to 1978 when you started coaching, uh, an inner city youth team. How common has it been for your athletes to witness that type of behavior? You know, it's, it's, it's an issue around issues of race and ethnicity in America, right? Mm -hmm. So one, when we, we've been traveling to about national tournaments that I'd say for about 15 years, for about, yeah, for about 15 years, we were doing regional um, tournaments as well. What I found interesting is at the beginning, because nobody was used to ever seeing, we were always the only black and Latino team, just always. You know, and then at least when we did regional, we might have seen one or two more. But on a national scale, you might have seen a Latino or an African-American, one, maybe two on a team here and there. But the idea that 
80% of our team was black and Latino, was new for folks to see. So at first it always was like, oh, here's that inner city team, here's that inner city team. I think it was in 2010 when we won the first United States baseball championship is when folks stopped looking at us around inner city and urban. And what they started realizing, we were good, right? So I, I will be honest, have we've heard the N word plenty of times. Have we've heard the spick word plenty of times. Um, this whole idea of where's your green card went on for two innings and parents and nobody stopped it. So I just walked out on the field and the umpire is like, please, right? And and there were the parents on the other team that were yelling at me to go back into the dugout. And I never talked to the parents or anything, but I did pause and you know, when I was at the mound talking to the umpire and said, that must be your child, right? So all I could do is go in the dugout and tell our team, we will not stop. We will not stop on them. And I think we ended up beating them like 14 to two or three. But what was interesting was not even us, but there were other teams, other white teams that were appalled by that and just, you know, didn't understand that. But, you know, but that happened in Richmond, Virginia. We were in a tournament about three, four years ago in Indianapolis. We show up at a hotel and we walk in and we check in. And then our kids came down to come into the pool and everybody in the pool got out. As soon as our kids came down, they all got out and they didn't feel safe. And then we show up at a tournament and, you know, and, you know, you could see we get the looks and all that until we play. So, so, you know, listen, it's common, right? And until we would normalize that folks see black and Latino teams. And this is partly why um, about five years ago, we started our own urban baseball classic and we just built our own to bring urban teams together instead of, you know, dealing with that. And listen, at the end of the day, does it make our young folks strong? Yes. Does it make us resilient? Yes. Is that was part of us competing? You know, yes, some of it is. That wasn't everybody. I want to make sure that wasn't all the teams. But, you know, this is race in America, you know, and we had to deal with that as we've had to deal with issues off the field. We've gone to restaurants where we've walked in and people like have freaked out and got up and moved over like you know we've seen it and and i'm really saying to you dad we've seen this this isn't me making this up these are real life you know you know instances of things that have happened to us but you know what we do we move forward because we can't allow you know those issues and instances of hate race bias to hold us back from what our goal is is to go and compete at the highest level yeah and one thing that you mentioned in the op-ed um I interviewed uh, Chris Ortiz. This isn't something that you mentioned in the op-ed, but just along the same lines. Uh, he's from the Boston Blue Jays, which is most mostly Latino players. And yes. he said uh, most of his players, you know, are from the Dominican Republic or Puerto Rico. He said it's a difficult thing uh, being Hispanic in the Boston area. Um, so it does happen everywhere. You know, it's not just, you know, when you're down in Richmond or Indianapolis. How, what do you think, and you talked about the resources aren't always in place. And even at the end of op, your op-ed, you said, you know, some these organizations need to come together and provide that support for uh, minorities or, you know, black and Latino players in Boston. How have you seen uh, it play out where it is difficult uh, in Boston to make those changes? You know, here, here's, I guess, two ways I'd, I'd look at that. Um, we made a conscious commitment that we were going to be about change. Um, you know, listen, our kids live in a world every day, you know, that they're fighting for their lives and others. So as an organization, I wasn't going to use that as excuses for what we weren't going to do. So I guess on the other way, 
then I flip it in the other way and say, yeah, it's difficulty, but, you know, and it's difficult. But these are some of the things our young folks are going to have to go through if they're going to be successful. And what we just made a conscious decision to do is, like, we just, we worked and we worked with, a you know, one of our sponsors, and we have a $5 million facility right here in Roxbury, a state-of-the-art facility. We built an educational institution here. We do robotics. We do technology. We do drones. Like, we have a guidance counselor on site. So I won't use the excuses what makes it hard. I'm going to build the entities and the strategies that our young folks need. Um, Christian is right. I know Christian, and he does a great job. But for us, you know, I started off as a sports program. Now what I'd love to really look at the base, we're building a talent pipeline. So sports is great, but all of a sudden, our young folks are going to some of the top colleges. Our young folks are going to schools. Listen, we've raised over $40 million in academic support and scholarships. I want you to hear that. Academic, not just sports scholarships. Our young folks are going to college and graduating. So those things that they have to deal with, you know, those things are hard. But our kids live in a world of uncertainty every day, you know, just where they grow up, their zip code, how people look at them, how even people determine them. What do people think of urban? Like you think of urban, you think of deficits. I will tell you, we have more white kids that come here to train now. And what's funny, I've had more suburban programs of cities that have reached out to me to ask me to build a base in their towns. So what I have found is our success rate, what we're doing is what's important, what's critical. And what we can't do is afford our, to allow ourselves to get caught up in the deficit or to get caught up in what others expect our young folks not to achieve. So Christian's right, it is tough. But what we have to do is then surround our young folks with the resources and the tools that they need to be successful. And we have, you know, one of the great things we have is by having a state-of-the-art facility that we can be open all year, every day, and to provide these access and resources to the kids. I think that's what separates us a little bit from other sports-based programs, you know, because we're providing everything else on top of the sports. Right. Yeah. Because a lot of these play, especially baseball facilities are seasonal and it does help. They, they have this consistent place that they can go to uh, 12 months a year uh, to, to develop and grow. That's that's important. But but the other thing, too, Dan, let's 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 think of it. Right. We've been lucky for the number of our kids that have gone on to college and play. We've been lucky the number of our kids that are either in minor league baseball or major league. That's fine. Right. But we've also have been fortunate enough that when colleges are knocking on our doors because they want our student athletes, we're fortunate enough that our kids are doing internships. We have, we have over the last couple of years, six of our young folks have been, you know, doing internships as curators at the MFA, right? Think of that. Six of our kids are like learning about being a curator at the MFA. Our young folks are doing work in commercial real estate, right? Because you've come from an entity. And what do you hear that most of these companies are looking for? That our young folks are participating in a team sport, the role of team that comes to bear in a business environment. So part of our fundamental role is how are we preparing folks? And listen, I say to folks, if you're good enough, you want to make it, that's great. But we want to make sure that you also have other plans you know, for some reason that it doesn't work. And it is partly why the majority of our instructors 
The majority of our instructors are alumni, and the majority of our instructors have graduated college. And these are the exact same kids that have come through the neighborhood, right? So I always say, don't tell me what our young urban kids can't do. I'm going to show you when you invest in them, the possibilities and the dreams that they have. And again, it's not unusual if you were to walk in the base and you would see some white kids in their training and people say, where are they from? And we'll say the suburban areas, they come in here because as their parents are saying, they get the great instruction, but let's be real. You know, if kids are gonna participate in this 21st century, you know, we better get ready to really participate in climates and communities that are much more diverse in gender, race, ethnicity, and geographical location. And, and this is the great thing that sports can provide our young people. The New England Baseball Journal podcast will be back after these words. Firecracker Sports serves all first-time and experienced coaches that are looking for quality showcase tournaments to promote their players and teams. We offer the most independently operated baseball and softball events in the Northeast region with qualified staff and college coaches to help you and your players get maximum promotion. Besides events, you can get all your baseball and softball needs with our player profiles, hotels, and even facility sales now. With Firecracker Sports, you can save time, effort, and money by getting all of your events, college resources, and customer attention in one place every season. Looking to keep up with all the latest news and information on New England baseball? New England Baseball Journal and BaseballJournal.com are the premier resources for information and inspiration on the New England baseball scene. Have every issue of New England Baseball Journal, the magazine, delivered to your home or office. And don't forget to stay in the game every day with a digital subscription to BaseballJournal.com to receive baseball coverage on clubs, college commits, prep and high school, division one, two, and three colleges, showcases, rankings, and much more. Get in the game and behind the scenes now by going to baseballjournal.com. Just click on the subscribe button and start the subscription that is right for you today. New England Baseball Journal is a Siemens Media publication. Siemens Media, inspiring, informative, insightful. I wanted to ask, I was, you, you mentioned alumni a few times in that, and I was on your uh, website, the basis website, looking at some of the alumni testimonials and uh, it's pretty incredible what some of the things that they remember uh, that the program has offered in terms of opportunities and experiences. One of your uh, student athletes said that they, uh, one of their favorite parts of the program was the HBCU tours of college campuses. Yeah. How do, how do those work and how do you uh, arrange for those? So yes, we just last week had to cancel our upcoming historically black college and university tour. We were actually going to take a, a, a group to Georgia this year. Um, it was it was about four years ago. What we realized, and and it's not just it's it's our black, Latino, and white students that attend. We wanted to make sure that our young folks knew about the historically black college and universities, and that we wanted to provide that access to them. So what we have done. Each year we'll pick a place like so from, we've gone to, from Pennsylvania, we've been to DC, we've been to Virginia, this year would have been Georgia. So what we'll do is we'll pick a place. We'll, you know, we take some months, we reach out to the colleges, we really schedule a, a week of activities, visits, 
admissions meeting students and others. And we take 20 young folks and it's everything about what I was saying earlier about there's a base culture, you have to earn your spot. So it's folks that are showing up, folks that are doing their schoolwork, folks that are participating and folks that are earning their right to go. And again, we pay for everything. So the one thing at the base, no one pays for anything. We raise all the money to pay for everything. And your only pay is your sweat equity and earning your spot. Um, so our young folks will travel. And we've had um, a, a group of our young white students that have gone. And what's been interesting is how many folks never knew that historically black colleges and universities exist, existed. And we've also have sent a few of our young folks, young men and women, to a few of the HBCUs um, over the years. So that's just going to be fundamental to our growth, that we want our folks to know that historically black colleges and universities exist. Um, again, for you to be a student in or a student athlete, if you choose to be. And we've also had some great relationships with some of the baseball coaches at HBCUs, in particular around our urban, um, our national urban classic, um, you know, where we can provide access and opportunities for folks that travel into Boston for our classic to share about the HBCU experience. Yeah, the urban classics, uh, how, how big do they get in terms of scope and teams and participants and uh, when are they for baseball? Yeah, we, we, we started this some years ago. Um, you know, back in the day when Theo Epstein was the general manager of the Boston Red Sox, Theo was a big supporter of ours, and not even just a supporter. It wasn't unusual to see Theo out at games and hosting our team at, at Fenway Park. And, you know, when we won the 2010 National U.S. United States Baseball Championship, the Red Sox hosted us, had our whole team on the field, the whole nine yards. And when Theo became the president general manager of Chicago Cubs, he reached out and said, hey, I want to do something in Chicago. So one of the things that we decided to do is we brought a team from Boston to the south side of Chicago, and we started playing baseball games. Um, and Theo would come out, he would bring supporters and folks. And then it was, um, it might've been about four or five years ago when Theo decided that he, he personally um, stepped up and funded us opening up a site in Chicago. So we have a base in Chicago and we, we do some work in Indianapolis as well. Um, but, you know, we took what we did in Chicago by bringing Boston and a few different, the West side and the South side, and we brought this back to Boston. And over the years, we have had anywhere of 14 to 18 teams representing from East LA, you know, the boroughs, the five boroughs of New York, New Jersey, um, from Florida to Jesus, um, Louisville, um, you know, Alabama, Papa Jack. Matter of fact, Papa Jack, um, the former Red Sox hitting coach, he brings his team from Alabama to Boston. So we have had anywhere from 300 plus young folks. Um, last year was our first year, but the, the when COVID hit, we had a change it. So we went from the National Urban Baseball Classic to now the National Urban Classic because we're doing the same now. We have about eight girls softball teams, mostly from the Northeast and the Midwest that come in. Um, and we've done the same with basketball. Our whole goal is how can we build an urban talent sports classic where all it is is they have to get here. If they figure out how to get here, you know, last year was different because of the, um, you know, COVID restrictions, but we actually house them all on college campuses 
we cover their food, we take care of the umpires and everything. And, you know, Governor Baker a few years ago hosted the Urban Classic at the State House, where the governor, Sam Kennedy, and other donors and funders showed up for the 350 young folks that came throughout the country. Um, so we realize we have something big that can showcase urban talent. And while they're here, Dan, we do what the base does. Every person that's here visits colleges. So we do college visits and tours. We do a career day. We actually have companies come in and talk to our young folks about career opportunities. So it's different from traveling to a tournament where you travel to a tournament, you go in a hotel, you get your schedule, you play games, you go back to your hotel and wait for your next game. We ensure that the kids are living together and we pay for it. We ensure, like I said, that they're going to get access to college information and access to career. And we want to do something different. We want to ensure that when you come to a base urban classic, it's an experience. They visit the ICA. They visit the MFA this year. Our teams had a chance to visit Fenway Park. And we also, they visited TD Bank North and the um, Sports Museum. We want folks coming for an experience. And that's how we know we're gonna keep building and growing off this great opportunity of our Urban Classic. If we didn't have the pandemic, we were hoping that we would have about a thousand kids here last summer, but we ended up having about close to 400 instead. That's amazing. Sounds like an amazing experience. Um, I was talking to a coach last week who said, uh, the way that you can tell that his the culture of his program is thriving is when you walk into the weight room, you see uh, a lot of energy, a lot of people supporting each other, just a lot of uh, activity. And he said that's what it should always look like when you walk in the weight room, people supporting each other and uh, contributing to the, the greater good of the team. Uh, and it sounds like there's so many different things happening at the base in terms of, you know, academics and athletics. What does it look like? Uh, if, if for someone who were, was to walk into the to the base, man, let me let me tell you. There's there's also there's that the pre-pandemic and today, right? <laughs> um, you know, it's it's so funny. I would say a couple of years ago, before the pandemic, and some of the stuff I'll share about today. But pre-pandemic, you'd walk in here during the, in the morning. We ran in partnership with the Urban College. I ran an associate degree college on site. So you'd walk in every morning and there's 18 students at the base taking college classes. You'd walk into our sports facility. You would see elementary schools in the sports facility taking either phys ed or gym, you know, gymnasium classes. Um, we're, we're a loving culture. Like the base isn't about handshakes. The base is about hug and support. And it's not just in the weight room. It's in every element of what you do. It's about smiling faces, about greeting. We, we, we you'll see, when you first walk in in our vestibule, you see the base weight of values. The same thing in my classroom where I'm sitting now and right behind me where my head is are all the values on the wall. And when you walk in a sports facility, the thing you will also find here is we live by this thing, expectations, not rules. There's not rules up in here. Rules tell kids what they can and can't do. Expectations are setting a bar that's high. And, and we have our thing, preparation, practice, and performance, earn your spot. Excellence is the new minimum. At the end of every practice, instruction, or game, you'll see our teams, one, two, three, base, four, five, six, family. So we build a culture of family. Um, so you come in and you get your education. You get now, when you walk in, you get your remote learning. The difference of a couple of years ago till today, you come in on a Saturday, besides the instruction going on, you're gonna see kids doing you know, remote learning, robotics, drones, 
We built a state-of-the-art esports facility on site, and we rent a facility about a quarter of a mile from here where we run a basketball clinic. And, you know, what we have is about 105 kids that are doing basketball. So what we don't do at the base, we don't have tryouts. So there's no such thing as tryouts. It's all called earn your spot. So you could be the kid that shows up and you're not the best kid and you show up every day and you, you, you put the time in, you, you play. This isn't about the best talent. We don't, we're not a trophy program. So we don't do trophies, no MVPs, none of this. We give out like winter coats. We give out journals. We give out book bags. We give out hats and gloves. Um, you know, right up front, I'm looking now, Converse. We, we just did a sneaker drive for a winter wonderland. We gave all of our kids sneakers. Um, Franklin Sports is our glove sponsor. So our kids get, all of our kids get gloves. We now have a partnership with Mind Bats for bats. So what our kids are getting are about earn your spot. And those are the things you get on top of it. But, you know, there is no MVP. So if you're the best player, like Ivan would tell you, and Josh would tell you back in the day, you come and you get to earn it. You know, Josh never felt like he was the best player. We all knew how great he was, but Josh came in and what Josh was, Josh was a member of the base. And that's where you create culture, right? You create that culture of love. You create that culture of belief and you create that culture of hope and hope is the access. And that's what we have to instill in our young folks, right? You know, John Thompson, the, the, you know, the great, you know, former coach of Georgetown, people used to ask him, why did he have a deflated basketball in his office? He says one day the ball stops bouncing. So you have to get folks ready for that day when the ball stops bouncing. And we have to get ready for that day. You know, when young folks, it's, you know, what's next? I've been fortunate enough. My late brother, Paul Lewis, um, was a great athlete, you know, All-American at Boston University, drafted by the Patriots, played professional ball. After a couple of years, he got hurt, right? And I experienced this as a young person, so I experienced this, you know, and what did my brother have to rely on? It was his college degree. And it's this reminder for our young folks, sometimes the ball stops bouncing. And what are you going to do? Then And we all know this, you know, how many people do we know that are in their late 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and they're still talking about yesterday and what they did on a field, but haven't actually have done too much to move themselves to what's next. So great memories on the field, great memories about the base, great memories about the you know camaraderie with your teammates, right? And you remember those things. But boy, man, there's nothing to me about then the greatness is when I look at Jason Burrell and he's an attorney at Mintz Levin. When I look at the superintendent of the Boston Police Department, Felipe Colon, who's an alumni. You know, when I look at Rafa, who just got into the academy. You know, and when I look at like, you know, you know, my guy, you know, Phil Coombs, who's who went to, you know, you know, and actually went to West Point, right? So when I look at these guys, and I look at our own alumni who are working here. That's the great story. And that's what we want our young folks to realize. There's, there's life during baseball and there's life after baseball. Um, and that's what I think you'll feel when you walk in this place is that it's about like just love, hope, and opportunity. You know, and it's it's just manifested in the culture of the base. Yeah, it's such important work. Um, one quick story before you, and then I'll let you go. You mentioned John Thompson. I covered a game 
at the Boston Garden. It was an NCAA tournament game. It was after he retired from Georgetown, but he was he was a play-by-play guy or a, a color analyst for CBS, I think. And in between games, we were covering two games. Uh, we all went kind of back to the press area, and there was this single seat leather leather recliner right in front of a TV. And there was probably 50 media members watching a NCAA tournament game at a different site. And John Thompson would just sit in that chair in between games and watch for like, you know, the 20 minutes that he had before he had to get back to work. And everybody would kind of crowd around him and watch it. So one time he comes in in between games and somebody else is sitting in the leather chair and he just stood over him for about three minutes, just staring at this person. The guy's like, do you want me to get up? And he's like, yep, that's my chair. <laughs> so the kid gets up and John Thompson sits in the chair for the rest of the halftime. It was great. Oh. But uh, Robert, I appreciate you taking the time. It was uh, it was very inspiring and informative. And I really appreciate uh, you joining us today. And thank you for the opportunity to share, you know, about the base, but really, again, to share the story about you know, access and opportunities. And if there's, I guess, one last point I would say is um, if I was going to recommend something to colleges and Major League Baseball, when you start thinking about your next fan base, it's not just what's on the field. Your next fan base is America is going through this shift. You know, when you start thinking about Spanish speaking communities and Latinos being one of the fastest growing populations, I would say to Major League Baseball, you know, you owe it to reach out into urban neighborhoods because it's not just, again, about who's going to play on your teams. But listen, you have an incredible fan base that we need to reach out to. And if we're going to see the survival of baseball, I really believe hard in this country, it is going to be around generational change. We have seen it with the World Baseball Classic, right? I don't think it's any longer America's pastime. It's a global pastime these days, right? So. Um, that's your next generation fan base. And I, I just think the talent lies in great cities throughout our country. I agree with you. Well, Robert, thank you so much for that message and uh, enjoy. Stay warm this winter. Will do, Dan. Thank you again, my friend. Thanks to Robert Lewis Jr. for joining the pod. Before we close out, a few programming notes. Rate, review, subscribe to the New England Baseball Journal podcast on your preferred platform. Be sure to subscribe so you can get an alert every time a new pod goes live. To keep up with all things New England baseball, visit BaseballJournal.com. We update the site daily with new stories. Click the subscribe tab to get the winter edition mailed to your home or office. Follow us on Twitter at NE underscore baseball. We also want to hear from you. If you have recommendations for guests or questions that you'd like me to ask, send a DM on Twitter or email dguttonplan at BaseballJournal.com. Thanks again for listening. The New England Baseball Journal podcast is a Siemens Media production.